with me and for me. So let's go to our Lord in a word of prayer, asking that he would bless this time. Father in heaven, we thank you as always for being a good and gracious, faithful God. You are better than we deserve. Lord, we ask that in this moment that your spirit would move and that your proclaimed gospel would touch the heart of men and women. Lord, I thank you for your word. We all thank you for your word that guides us and acquaints us with your character and with your truth. So, Father, again, we we bless you and thank you and give you the glory and honor. It is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. Imagine that you're married and that you and your spouse have conceived a child. You and your spouse, you you all take a routine visit to the doctor's office for a checkup on the baby's health. Uh, But during the examination of the baby, the doctor finds an abnormality. Now imagine that the doctor proceeds to tell you that your baby, your baby that you have conceived, your first child, is terminally ill and will likely die in less than a year after she is born. Well, this is the reality for a young lady that I will call Heather. It's not a real name. This is, in fact, a a real person. This is the reality for Heather and her husband. Just after they conceived their first child. This was a truth that was hard for them to hear. It was a truth that was hard for them to accept. But unfortunately, it was their reality nonetheless. My brothers and sisters, today we are going to talk about suffering. It is a hard subject to talk about. It is a tough subject to talk about. It is a subject that American Christians have a hard time with because of the juxtaposition of our faith and the American dream. Although many of us would would never admit it, plenty of American evangelical Christians believe a truncated version of the gospel. Many American Christians who believe that they are otherwise solid in their faith subscribe to an undercover version of the prosperity gospel. They, They wouldn't explicitly say, Uh, that they believe that a Christian is supposed to be rich or that a Christian is supposed to be healthy, 
Uh, but many of us believe that if we work hard enough, we should get all the things that we want. And we believe that if we are morally upright, that God has no choice but to show us his favor. There are also those who foolishly believe that poor people are poor because they have some sort of spiritual deficiency. My brothers and sisters, those kinds of beliefs are as American evangelical as apple pie. And I contend that they are a truncated belief in the gospel. The reality is that hard work does not necessarily equate to the American dream. The reality is that there is nothing more that a child of God can do to earn God's favor. And the reality is, is that just because someone is poor does not mean that they are spiritually or morally bankrupt. Now, I'm going to say this early in this sermon just to be clear about what my objective is today. I do not have the answer to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? I do not have the answer to the question, why do good things happen to seemingly bad people? Now, the answer to that question, I don't get paid enough to try to answer that question. It's above my pay grade. And although I believe I have a strong biblical reasoning to argue that that is in fact the wrong question to ask because bad a bad thing only happened to a good person one time y'all know where i'm going with that but the reality is any conclusion that we would probably arrive to to answer those questions would not satisfy most people so my objective today Instead, is to point you to Christ in light of the reality of suffering. The question that I want to answer today is not why do Christians suffer? Why do good people suffer? Rather, it is what should be the Christian disposition in suffering. My brothers and sisters, suffering happens to everyone. No one can escape it. To be sure... There are differing levels of suffering that people experience. But again, it is an inescapable reality of the human condition. Sickness, poverty, wars, injustice, and death are the tip of the iceberg of the human condition. But James is helpful. James places the Christian's hope in something eternal. In verses 7 and 8, James roots our hope in the coming of our Lord. Now, as we mentioned on last week, this coming of the Lord refers to the great day that is coming, that is sure to come when the Lord Jesus will crack the sky and everything that is sad will be made untrue. It is the day of the Lord when Sin and death and evil will be destroyed forever. And James places the hope of the Christian in the assurance 
of this coming of the Lord. The instruction that James gives here, in essence, is to behave as if you knew something good was about to happen. Behave as if you knew something good was on the way. One of the highlights of my day, almost every day, is to see how my boys react when their mom gets home from work. See, most days I I, I pick up my boys from daycare and we get home a little bit earlier than Jessica gets home. Uh, So the boys will ask questions like, where's mommy? Or what time is mommy coming home? What they're doing is, is that they are anticipating what is coming and they are behaving in a way that shows that they are anticipating my wife's arrival. My brothers and sisters, we like to eat. Food is an American luxury. We, 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 eat, we throw away more food uh, than some people get to eat. And so I'm sure that some of you have ordered dinner before and you ordered a dessert to be, de- to be delivered after the main course. And you, you enjoyed your entree. It was good. But how did you behave in expectation for the arrival of that piece of cheesecake or that piece of chocolate cake? What was your disposition? Did you set your mind and your heart on it? Were you eager for it? James tells his brothers and sisters here in verse 8 to establish their hearts for the coming of the Lord. Look forward to it. Prepare yourself for it. Because if suffering happens to everyone, and indeed it does, the Christian can uniquely suffer with hope. My brothers and sisters, this does not erase suffering. This does not eliminate pain. Hope does not mean the absence of heartache. But it does establish that for the Christian, that that our suffering will not be without reward. My brothers and sisters, have you ever been so frustrated that it affects the people around you? If you're alive and you're breathing, the answer to that question is yes. But let me take it a little further. If you're married, the answer to that question is yes, yes. If you're married with children, the answer to that question is yes, yes, yes. One for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit, right? So when we're frustrated... It's easy for us to take out our frustration on other people, right? Now imagine if you were poor, scattered from your homeland, and being oppressed by selfish rich people who were also persecuting you for your faith and exploiting you financially for their own pleasure. See, this was the situation on the ground for the people to whom James was writing. Imagine how easy it would have been for them to take their frustrations out on one another. And so James 
points out in verse 9, he says, do not grumble against one another, one another, uh, brothers. Now, this, 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 this word uh, for grumbling here, uh, this word for grumbling here could be, uh, it, it kind of gives us the sense that uh, their oppression, their, their, their suffering could lead to disunity if they did not suffer with a Christian Christ-like disposition. And disunity for this community of faith would have been catastrophic. A fractious community within this community of faith would have led to hierarchies and cliques. So James reminds them that the judge, the one and only judge, is standing at the door. So in essence, my brothers and sisters, we are being reminded that our Christian convictions should impact and affect our disposition as we endure suffering. Our Christian character should not be compromised even in the face of suffering. A hard truth, I know. Such a hard truth. I know. I feel it. This is hard for me to say. It's a hard truth, but it is the truth nonetheless. You see, the problem with modern liberal theologies of suffering is that they forget the need for the mortification of sin in the life of the believer. So, my brothers and sisters, let's not make that mistake. So as we struggle, as we suffer, as we go through the ebb and flows of life, let's not forget while we're pointing the finger at other people let's not forget that we have struggles within ourselves we have struggles in our own marriages we have struggles with our own sexual and gender identity let's not forget that we have sin in our own lives because we are not righteous what do you mean we're not righteous we're 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 sons and daughters of god we have been declared righteous we have an alien righteous righteousness, meaning that our righteousness is not our own. It is a righteousness that has been imputed to us, meaning that uh, we have a righteousness. We have Christ's righteousness on our behalf. Who are we to judge? There is only one judge, and he is standing at the door, my brothers and sisters. When I was a teenager, I would often have talks with my dad, and and he would say things like, you know, I've been there before, or, you know, that reminds me of such a such a time when something like that happened to me. There was a particular point in, in my early 20s that I was a broke college student. I had a whole bunch of debt. And I was recently out of a bad relationship, and I was unsure about what my next steps would be. So I had a conversation with dear old dad, and he was able to give me examples from his own life that helped me to see that it was possible to make it through the situation that I found myself in. So my brothers and sisters, it it is helpful for us to look to examples of people who have endured suffering in order to encourage ourselves. 
And what James does here is that James lifts up the prophets and he lifts up Job to this oppressed community of believers. The prophets, my brothers and sisters, as we know, uh, were those who spoke on behalf of God. Uh, They were the messengers of God, and they often endured persecution from the very communities to whom they prophesied. Most Christians are probably familiar with the story of Job, but just in case some of you are not, here's a Cliff Notes version of the story. Job was a faithful servant of God who was blessed with wealth and posterity. But God permitted Job to be afflicted by Satan, and Job lost everything he had. Health, money, possessions, family, everything gone. And Job endured this trial, and everything was restored to him, plus some. And both examples that James uses here in our text are, 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 to, are meant to encourage the suffering community that endurance is possible because others have suffered and endured faithfully due to the compassion and mercy of God. My brothers and sisters, there are certain sermons, honestly, that I do not look forward to to preach. There are certain portions of the Bible that I just wish were not there. Wish I could take them out. Because the reality is that sometimes God's word convicts us so deeply that we can hardly stand under it. It's hard to look someone in their eyes while they are suffering and tell them to endure. It's hard. At the beginning of this sermon, I introduced you to a woman named Heather. Told you that that is not her real name, but this is, in fact, a real person. I told you how the doctors told her that the child that she and her husband had conceived had conceived would die shortly after it was born. But what I did not share with you at the beginning of this sermon is that The doctors were right that, in fact, the child that they had conceived would die shortly after it was born. Months after the baby was born, that baby died. What I also did not share with you at the beginning of the sermon is that this happened to Heather and her husband not only once, but twice. Just as they began bonding with both of these children, their lives were ended. Suffering is real, my brothers and sisters. This is not some pie-in-the-sky sermon. I wish it could be. Because suffering is real. And sometimes as American Christians, we we are so far removed from real suffering that we think that we can stand above it as if we're untouchable. But 2020 has shown us something different. 
But can I share something with you? It can always get worse. It can always be worse. I wish that I could paint a more rosy picture for us, my brothers and sisters, but I I just simply cannot. There are some of us, to be sure, that will be healed from sicknesses and diseases. There are those who have gained relief from poverty, and there will be more people who will gain relief from poverty. There are those that will find true love and true happiness in family and in community, but there will be some of us that will suffer greatly. But let me not leave us without any hope. Let me not leave us without any hope, lest we leave this gathering in despair. In our text next week, we will cover how James shows the Christian community, how the Christian community of faith is called to be there to support one another in suffering my brothers and sisters the christian community the family of god is called to walk hand in hand with those who are suffering we are called to enter the sufferings of others and to bear their burdens alongside them i can assure you all of this is that when we bear one another's burdens, we look the most like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's when we look the most like Jesus, when we bear one another's burdens. Because we know how our Lord suffered on our behalf. We know how he suffered and died and took our place at Calvary. And so as we look forward, as we look forward to our assured eternal hope, let us take hope in the fact that we have our Christian brothers and sisters who are there for us as we face the brokenness of this world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have not left us undone. That we have not a high priest who is removed from suffering. Lord Jesus, you know what it is. You know what it means to suffer. One of the glorious things about the Christian faith is that our God, is not an ivory tower deity. Our God left glory and majesty, the perfection and beauty of community, eternal community in the triune Godhead, eternal love, eternal joy, eternal gladness, eternal perfection. You've left that to enter and condescend into the muck and mire of the brokenness of this world. 
No other religion, no other worldview can say that they have a God who was willing to do something like that. How dare we worship a statue? How dare we worship a graven image when we have a God who was willing to enact a plan such as that? And so, Lord, help us by your spirit to understand what it truly means to endure suffering for the cause of Christ what it means to endure suffering like you did for the joy that was set before you. Help us to be willing to support our brothers and sisters, those who are in the persecuted church, those who find themselves, even in America, to be oppressed and marginalized. Help us to know what it means to come alongside them and show them the love of Christ. Lord, that is our prayer. Because that is what pleases your heart. That is what you did for us. Help us to be and to do what you have done for us, for others. It is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen.